This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Hello, everybody. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio, and I hope all of you are doing extremely well. It's already April of 2021. That's just time is just crazy flying by. It is April 15th, which is tax return day, which of course is such a favorite for so many of us. But the big thing about April 15th is Jackie Robinson Day. And this is why on this day every year for for baseball um, that the players were number 42. And if you're not familiar with Jackie Robinson Day, this was 65 years ago today. Jackie Robinson became the first black man to play Major League Baseball in the modern era. So if you have a chance to watch uh, 42, uh, Chadwick Boseman played Jackie Robinson in that. Um, Harrison Ford played the uh, ball club owner that brought him over. And my apologies for the moment. I, I cannot remember the gentleman's name. But there's, um, it, it's, it's, it's something that you really should be aware of if you love baseball at all or just basically history of the United States. Uh, things started to shift and change. And like a lot of things, when change happens, there's people who push back. But um, it ends up being a good thing. It ends up getting us in a better direction and shooting us in a different direction. And that's uh, the trajectory, let's hope, just keeps going in a positive light. Um, and again, you know, not everyone's going to like it, but that's <laughs> it, it's uh, change is going to happen no matter how hard we try to stay still. So, um, and with that, uh, so, so know why everyone's wearing number 42 today. All the players would wear 42 on April 15th. And in a, on a lighter note, um, if you wanted to celebrate a food month, this is National Grilled Cheese Month. So, you know, throw down your favorite grilled cheese sandwich, watch some really good baseball, and maybe even movie number, the movie 42. Um, so today, if you're not interested in watching uh, baseball, but you love reading and, you know, a good grilled cheese, you could throw down that with a very nice glass of wine because our author today is the, um, he created the book called Uncork My Love, which is his, I think, 17th or 18th romantic comedy that he's penned. And he is going to be with us here in just a minute. Um, so let me see here. Hold on. Getting a little technical stuff going on. Anyway, um, the um, his name is Rich Amui. He's been on before, and I was going through the list of uh, authors we've had on, and he is um, he has been on at least three to four times. And I I found him kind of organically. You know how you get the Amazon you know, a new release thing, and his one of his first books popped up, and I thought, well, that's cute. So I looked at it, and I was reached out to him because I also featured it on a San Antonio Living, which is a show I do once a month, um, and I get to talk about book picks, and they're just truly tremendous to allow me to just come on and talk about pretty much any book. Um, and Rich was one of them, so I reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I'm featuring your book, and here's the segment. And we've talked back and forth. It's been, gosh, I think five, six years ago. Um, but that happened, and we've just 
kept communicating. He and his lovely wife, Sylvie, they're both writers, uh, live in California, and he's about to pop on here. He's almost here. And um, so I'm going to start reading his bio here. Uh, Rich Amui is Reader's Favorite Gold Medalist Recipient, a Holt Italian finalist for Best Contemporary Romance, and Amazon bestseller of 17 rom-coms, including It's PMS, not It's not PMS, It's You, There's Something About a Cowboy and Madam Love Actually. A former radio personality and wedding DJ, Rich now writes romantic comedies full-time in San Diego, California. He's happily married to a kiss, his to a kiss monster imported from Spain and believes in public displays of affection, silliness, infinite possibilities, donuts, gratitude, laughter, and happily ever after. Rich's latest book, Uncork My Love, is out now, and you can find Rich at his website, Facebook, Instagram, BookBub, and Amazon, and all those links are in the write-up of the show. How are you today, Rich? Donuts. That's what it's all about. It is. It is all about donuts. You post a lot about donuts on your Instagram. Oh, man. I love donuts, even though, oh, by the way, thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I was saying this before you came on. I was going through all of the list of um, the shows I've had, and I think you've been on, what, four or five times? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I just can't get enough of you. I know. It's fun. We have a good time when we talk. We do. We can talk for, for hours. Uh, and uh, which, which we have. But, but going... <laughs> <laughs> but going back to the donuts, um, I don't, you know, it's not, I do have a sweet tooth, but um, I, I splurge on donuts, but honestly, I don't do it all the time. So if we have donuts, I say, okay, that's good for maybe like another four or five or six weeks. Right, right. Yeah, one donut is good. I mean, but, you know, too many is, that's, that's, that's a lot. That's, that's a, Yeah. You know, feeling like yeah, you need, need to, like a whole make bag of carrots for, or something. <laughs> well, I, I have I do eat dark chocolate every single day of the week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's Keeping my dessert health, health after up. lunch. Oh, nice. <laughs> so is it the sixty percent are better dark chocolate? Seventy. Seventy-two. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know that the um, a lot of people don't like the darker chocolates just because of the bitterness, but you just have to find that balance. But isn't it above? Isn't it above sixty five percent? It's kind of the the one ounce of sixty five percent is better than like your for health benefits. I'm not sure, um, but I know the seventy two is a really good balance. We tried the eighty six, and it's a little too much for us. And welcome right. to Food Talk with Patricia and Rich. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, my friend Sean and I, you know, we grew up together, and I remember, it's funny how we all try different stuff growing up or whenever, and we were making chocolate chip cookies one time, I think we were like in middle school, and we, um, you're making it, you know, you throw the vanilla in, you're like, you know, vanilla smells really good, I wonder what it tastes like. Yeah, don't do that. Like, that's bad. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, find your balance. Yeah. Definitely. So tell me, so you, this is so you have seventeen rom coms. Does, does this include Uncork My Love, or is this seventeen plus? I have Uncork no idea. Um, okay. I um I I was talking with my wife Sylvie, who you know. Um, I was I talking do. with her the a couple of days ago uh, about this, and I said I always get mixed up. I'm not sure if I have sixteen, seventeen, or eighteen books. Um. And because I do have a, a romantic comedy that 
um, I give away for people who sign up for my newsletter. I give that away for free. So technically that is something, and it was published at one point. So that does count as one of my romantic comedies, even though it's not for sale anymore. It's only a freebie. Um, And then I also wrote, when I was a wedding DJ, I wrote a book for brides, um, Wedding Receptions That Rock. And that one is still for sale and still sells. So that is included in my in my total book count, but I usually only in, include my romantic comedies in my count because normally I'm only talking about my rom-coms. Right. Well, but I mean, it, it does kind of tie in, you know, with the with the receptions and everything. I mean, what True. when you were a DJ, what was some of the the most unique um, song requests that you had at the wedding reception? Um, unique. I remember there was, okay, I'll tell you a couple of stories. There was one time I got in a verbal sparring match with the sister of the bride. Um, and it actually, she started yelling at me at the, at the wedding reception because I would not play the song she wanted, even though her sister, the bride said, do not play any songs for my sister because she plays things that are inappropriate. Uh, she okay. hear, she listens to things that are inappropriate. So we already had this agreement, me and the bride, that I would not play anything for her sister no matter what. Well, her sister came up at some point and probably knew the deal because she starts flirting with me and lowering sure. her blouse a little bit. And I'm thinking, oh, great. She thinks yeah. this is going to do something for me. And, and, and then she requests me so horny. Yeah, because that is a very, it's a classic song you play at a wedding reception, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. All, all the moms and grandmas want to hear that. So, <laughs> so, I, uh, so I say, I'm sorry, uh, you know, I have some strict guidelines this evening for the music, and I'm not going to be able to play that. I am the sister's bride, and then she just went completely off. Um, mm-hmm. So um, that was, that's one of my stories. Of, I mean, you know, honestly, the, these stories like this are, I don't, it doesn't happen very often. Um, yeah. But every now and then you get, you get somebody like that. They've had a little alcohol in them and they get a little crazy. But um, getting back to your question about popular songs, um, you know, they're all the standards that, the, that you hear at most wedding receptions. And then you, you have, maybe 70% of the people who love it. And then the 30% that say, Oh no, not again. I hear this yeah. at every wedding celebration, twist and shout. Uh, and, and people, there are still plenty of people who will dance to them, but there are a lot of people who are sick and tired of hearing those sound, those songs, um, especially if they've gone to three or four weddings in a year. Um, yeah. One of the most popular first dances was At Last by Etta James. Right. And it's a beautiful song. And, I, and then another one that I played very, very often, and that this one never seemed to get burnout, was What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. Right. And um, that, that one is just a classic that is timeless. It, people never got tired of that one. Yeah, I mean, I think that it kind of... And, and of course, it's always to do with the theme, the theme of the wedding and the um, the bride and the groom themselves. You know what 
what is special to them. I, it, you know, I guess it's, it's frustrating in a way to see when someone wants to just, but, you know, you have to do this for me because it's what I like and it's my day. And it's like, but it's not because it's not your day. It's their day. So um, I'm sure there was plenty of, of uh, conversations you had with different people at a wedding about song requests, I'm sure. Um, you know, groomsmen yeah. trying to play a joke or whatever, you know, just. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> or a groomsman coming up and say, hey, let me have the microphone for a second. I want to do something funny for, my, you know, for the groom. I'm thinking, right. nope, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not funny to him. <laughs> no, because usually it's something, uh, you know, embarrassing that just kind of steers the wedding reception in the wrong direction. And, um, yeah, that, I never let that happen at all. But most of the times when I talk with the brides and grooms, you know, I told them ahead of time that, hey, I know you're going to have your favorite music that you want to hear, but keep your guests in mind because, you know, they want to hear they want to hear a variety of stuff. And if you just play everything you want to hear, you're not really considering your guests at all. And usually the people who hired me agreed with me there. And yeah. um, we were on the same page instead of somebody who wants to play two hours of Elvis at a wedding. Um, right. Even if it's an Elvis-themed wedding, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if maybe if it's an Elvis-themed wedding, maybe you could get away with it, but then they should have probably got an Elvis impersonator instead of a DJ. Right. <laughs> well, and I mean, I think some of those classics that sometimes people are like, oh, but I mean – if it's familiar, it's just like conversation. I mean, you want to have something that people can relate to versus something new. And, um, you know, some of those songs are what get people to dance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're the, the tried and true traditional wedding songs. And, you know, there are probably, they're probably about, about 150 or 200 that most DJs will go to in a pinch or when they just want to start off a new set, because those are the ones that have proven to get the most people on the dance floor at a particular time. And um, so that's one of the reasons why they're, they're so popular is because they work, but you will get a little bit of, you know, resistance from a few people that, you know, can't you play anything a little more modern? Right. And, uh, <laughs> or why are we playing all this modern stuff? You know, it's just like it, it's never it, – it just really depends on who's there, of course. Yeah. But it and was how a much career, alcohol the, being a, wed- a wedding DJ. <laughs> I'm actually going to do another uh, wedding reception book. Not, not, uh, I'm not talking about nonfiction. I'm talking about a fiction. Um, my second book, Dog Day Wedding, I had so much fun writing, and it was pretty much over-the-top crazy, a wedding with hostages. And, um, and I, uh, I want to do another book like that because I had so much fun writing that book. Right. Right. I mean, but so where, is that where you get, I mean, where do you get a lot of your ideas? Because all of your stuff is from sweet romantic comedy and you have these really fun covers, um, that just basically say it's, you know, sweet, fun, romantic comedy. Do you have, I mean, I know you write at home. But, I mean, do you have a place you go? And if you're, like, looking for inspiration or listening to conversations, I mean, is this, or is this just something you're constantly absorbing regarding story ideas? 
Yeah, I, I, it, these things just kind of pop into my head in my everyday life. And when we're out, I'm not actually sitting down at the table and thinking, hmm, what can I do that will be fun and catchy? Right. And, um, I mean, I usually don't sit down and do that. The, the ideas just kind of pop into my head. And a lot of times it's just the title and I have no idea what the story is going to be about. But I, I think of a title and say, you know what? that is an awesome title. I need to do something with that. What can I do? And I put it down right. on my list for a future story. And I think I've told you this. And then I, I come back to it one day. I look at the list and I say, I think I'm ready for this one here. I can really have some fun doing this. And then I, and I kind of come up with an idea of what I can do with it. Right. Now, do your stories link? Are they all independent? Do you have a mix? No, none of them are linked. They're they're all standalone titles. Um, in my in my book, Liliana Jones and the Temple of Groom, that uh-huh. one there is a uh, kind of fortune teller um, psychic, and I do give her because the the feedback on her was everybody loved her. I did give her her own love story, romantic comedy in madam love actually that is right. her story um but the only link is a character from that book has her own story there are no other characters appearing in the new one it's just okay. that the feed the feedback what they love that character so much they said she needs her own story and it's like in my latest release uncork my love um, everybody loves Grandma Loretta, and I've mm-hmm. already been getting so much feedback saying you need to give Grandma Loretta her own story um, because oh, nice. everybody absolutely loves her, and they want they want their grandma to be like her. And <laughs> I, uh, it, it's interesting, and I and I giggled and laughed with every scene that I wrote with Grandma Loretta in Uncork My Love. I totally. She she was my favorite character to write in more recently, um, but I, I can't really give her her own story. I mean, she's happily married. Um, yeah, I could give her a, a side gig of maybe she starts up a matchmaking business or something, but I think I'm just going to leave it alone just because uh, I just like the way that ended. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things about writing is knowing when the story's done, you know, that thread is pulled and we're good. Um, but it, but it is cool when you've written something that, um, readers are really responding to. I mean, they, they love that character so much they want more and that's a, that's gotta be a good feeling. Yeah, definitely. That's a, a good feeling. But, you know, I, I had a feeling when I was writing it, just the way I was giggling as I was writing her, some of her parts. And yeah. And they were kind of making me smile. And then Sylvie would look over at me and say, you know, what are you writing? And I say, you'll find out soon enough. Right. Um, because Grandma, Grandma Loretta gets a little bit crazy in my latest book, but uh, in a good way. And, yeah, people just responded. And, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of a very, very cool feeling. Oh, I love it. That's that's wonderful. And that, I mean, you've got to, I mean, writing's hard enough without, I mean, some books are much easier to write than others. Um, so to have a character that's being fair about what they want in a book 
and then to be able to get emotional in the sense of laughing or crying or whatever, um, that's, that's, that's just kind of a writer's dream right there. Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, I mean, you, I mean, we do this for the readers. So we want them to just escape and enjoy the stories. And if they can connect with one or two or three or four of the characters and almost, uh, you know, I see this in my reviews that they, they say they connected with the characters or almost felt like they knew them or they wish they were their friends. I mean, those are the ultimate compliments. Oh, for sure. Well, so then tell me about these two in Uncork My Love. This is your your latest book that's out right now. Yeah, I, and it's set in Napa Valley, and they are uh, they both own wineries. One is uh, wineries going very well; the other one not so well. And uh, it's a story of Ted and Ivy. And Ted is a giving guy. He likes to help, and you know wherever he can. He has no problem giving unsolicited advice if he knows it's going to help the person. But some people are very stubborn and do not appreciate unsolicited advice. <laughs> and, uh, it's crazy, I and know. <laughs> that's where the the butting heads begins and continues in this story. And um, that's uh, that's kind of some of the fun things that I like to write. I like to write like enemies to lovers and opposites attract where they butt heads a lot. That's probably, uh, I would say from what people are telling kind of one of my strong points is writing opposites and butting heads and the banter and the dialogue. And I have so much fun writing it then. And this story is no different. It's just, um, I love the, them going up against each other, two different personalities and two different, uh, you know, people with different types of baggage in their past that makes them have a little friction for a while before they fall madly in love. (laughs) Of course. Well, I mean, yeah, the the enemies to lover are opposites attract for sure. That's just like immediate chemistry, whether, you know, what kind of chemistry it is, we're not sure, but um, we kind of have to figure out how to to foster that and, and guide it. Um, so when you were doing the research for wineries, did you guys go visit several? Was the research grueling to have to go visit all these wineries? Um, not yeah, that you. could be, a, that could be not a, a, a grueling job, but, um, <laughs> you know, because of the state of the world, a lot of the wineries were actually closed or they had limited sure. tours or, or different things. So fortunately we have um, Sylvie's maid of honor in our wedding. Um, they own a winery in Napa and they uh, called black stallion, uh, mm-hmm. which is an amazing place. And they also uh, distribute wine and are a part of the, so many different wine products in the world They're I think they're in the top five wine distributors in the U S so they know a lot about wine. Uh, I, so I, I tapped into that source for lots of research besides doing a lot on my own. We have a neighbor just down the street that their wine connoisseur, she took, um, she studied wine and horticulture and different things for many years. So I'd be sending her text messages. Hey, what do they do here when, you know, you know, in the wine tasting room, what do they talk about when they're, you know, when they're sampling the wine and, and different different things and what were you eating and and and, and different yeah. things like that so 
I had text messages going back and forth between our neighbor and also with um, with Mache, who is uh, part of the Black Stallion Winery. In fact, she is, it's, we've known her for a while, and she's always read my stories before they were published, and she would give me feedback because she used to work in reading movie scripts in Hollywood and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, w- I would send her my my stories and she would kind of go through it and say, oh, yeah, this is good, or give me some feedback. So I actually made her a character in Uncork My Love. She's a, Not only is she a character in the story, but I dedicated the book to her. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, and, and it's interesting, too, because people, and I didn't realize this until I really started looking into it, people don't realize that it's not just wine. I mean, there's people who only grow the grapes and don't make the wine. There's people that um, distribute the wine. There's there's products you can make from the stuff that's left over, like the peel, and again, you can do, vena, you know, products and facial stuff. And I mean, there's just and body scrubs. And I mean, there's just all these different things about having a winery. Just just because you have a winery doesn't mean you're actually selling wine. You may just be selling the grapes. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, I, there's a part of the story that touches on that because yeah, wineries, uh, one winery will buy grapes from another winery. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it's, uh, especially these days with all the blended wines, uh, the, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes and not everybody is using their, their own grapes. And, uh, yeah, I don't think a lot of people know that that uh, right. there's a lot of, just like you said, a lot goes on behind the scenes and the, the wine industry is very fascinating. And I learned a lot by doing the research for this book. Oh, for sure. Well, and, and you've got too, I think different parts of the country can only grow certain types of grapes and different kinds of wine. And I mean, it's, it's all very specific geographically, of course. And, um, and it just, yeah, there's just a lot that it, it covers or, um, oh, the doorbell rang, so the dogs are freaking out. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot of research. I mean, you know, we can joke about the fact that it's, um, oh, what's the research to, to research wine? But, I mean, it is a big deal. You want to get it right because there's enough people who are going to know if you're just making it up. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there are, and there are people who are very particular about the wine, and they know a lot, and they'll call me on it if they see something in the book that's not accurate. They'll, you know, I, I guarantee you I will get uh, an email or something on social media or something in a review if it's not accurate. So I did a lot of research, days and days and days and weeks, saved so much information uh, about you know um, wine cellars and, and the fermentation and how they blend wine together and selling it and and so much and mm-hmm. then I tapped into a couple of my sources that I people who are in the business and talked with them as well and yeah because I want to get it right it's just like when I wrote Liliana Jones in the Temple of Groom that was set in Italy and I've never been to Italy so imagine the research I had to do. Uh, of things in Rome and uh, just so many different things on that trip that she went on to mm-hmm. to find love. Um, I had to do so much research in uh, on Italy and different places and the culture. Right, you know, and how the even just the time of day and the shops are open at, or closed at a certain time, and you don't just pop down to the afternoon 
you know, to get a coffee, you know, takeaway coffee at 3.30 in the afternoon. You probably don't. The shops might be closed. You know, this, there's, there's just still a lot of different things that, that are specific. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, we talk about this, about really putting out a good book, but it's not just the story itself. It's all the details. And that's what keeps readers coming back, like you've had. You've had 17 books now. So, um, well, 18. So that's a huge deal. Are you, are you sure? Are you sure it's 17? Well, let me hmm. see. I'm looking at your I'm looking at your um, website. So we've got uh, for 12, 15, 18. That is, but that includes your next book, Men Are Paws. Oh, that's right. I I do have that up there. The little the the cover that's that's coming this summer, Men Are Paws. <laughs> Very cute. Very good play on words there. Um, thank you, thank you, and and uh, from what I'm hearing already, it's a tough choice for women. <laughs> yes, sometimes it really is. It really is. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you're writing this, and how do you do you have a writing schedule? Because you're pretty consistent about getting what three or four books out a year. No, I haven't been doing that much. I did have a couple of years where I did have three. I've never done four in a year, and I don't know if my brain can do that. Although I have the ideas for the stories, but by the time I sure. get around to plotting and outlining and brainstorming, sometimes it takes me, you know, four, six, eight weeks before I even start the next book. Um, mm-hmm. it, it really just depends. Um, but my writing schedule varies. It's not like I, you know, I sit down every day at eight o'clock and I bust out 2,500 words. It really just varies on the day and, Sometimes uh, some chapters are slower than others. So, um, oh, for sure. Um, you know, I've had days where I've written 500 words, and uh, and then I think the most I've ever written in a day was like 5,700 words. But I've only done something like that a handful of times over the last six years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you're you're consistent though, and that's the big deal is that you keep putting books out. Um, and your very first book was which one? Was it the Happy to Be Stuck with You, or was it Kissing Frogs? No, uh, Kissing Frogs was number three. The my very first book was Five Minutes Late. Okay, okay, yeah. So I was trying to remember when I contacted you the first time because um, I was featuring your book, and I'm just trying to remember which book it was. Of course, I have to go back and look at it, but it was one of your first, say, five. Um, I think that. I reached out and said, hey, I'm going to feature this, your book. And then, you know, we've talked and talked ever since. Um, it's, been, it's, been, uh, it's been cool because we have a lot of uh, – we write kind of similarly in the sense of the genre, the romantic comedy and the meet-cutes and everything. So, um, and then it just, it's just been cool to, uh, just to kind of see your success and you keep growing. And, I mean, that's a big deal. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's important for me to be consistent. I mean, I, I know I will at least publish two books per year, and then after mm-hmm. that, it really just depends. I'm shooting for three this year, and okay. we'll we'll see how that that goes. Um, I initially and you have thought about now, four. Too. Yeah, the 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 majority of them um, are on audio now. I I'm guessing probably like. 13 or 14 of them uh, are available uh, from audible.com and other places where you can get audiobooks. And right. 
Just I think right. the last two are not in audio yet. Okay. So you've done everything indie. Um, all your books are indie, correct? Yes. Okay. So walk us, you know, someone who was talking about doing indie, let's say they've done the book, and they're wondering about Audible or getting their books on um, recorded. What was the process you used to do that? There were two different things that I did because initially I did them all myself, not the voices. I mean, I'm the one that's set up to find the narrators, and I did that through ACX, which is okay. a, a company of Amazon where you can find narrators. You can list your book and the type of book, and then narrators will audition for it, or you will listen to samples of certain narrators. You know they're amazing, and you, mm-hmm. you try to see if you can hire them on your own and that could range you know audiobooks can go you know some are five hours long some are 10 or 12 hours long and you pay for the finished product uh so if it's a 12 hour audiobook or 10 hours you're paying per hour for the finished time not the out per hour that they take to do it okay so um and then the price the price on that could could vary sometimes you'll find some narrators who are just starting out who will split the royalties with you and do it for free uh narrate it for free uh instead of you making forty percent on the the audiobook you split it with them you each get twenty because they they didn't charge you anything to do it um okay so some people starting out will do that um I chose to just pay outright up front and pay them to to do it and but then my last four okay i'm I'm so bad with numbers and memories and things but i think last <laughs> four or five audiobooks there's a company called tantor media and okay. um they offered me a contract uh to they wanted to produce those audiobooks and publish them themselves so they offered me a contract and I accepted that. So I didn't have to do anything. Um, the only thing I did was I found a couple of amazing narrators and um, I got them to use those narrators for, for the audio books. But so that was contracted for, from them. They offered me the contract. I said, heck yes, I'll do it. That, that means I'm hands off. I don't have to do anything. Right. Um, right. That makes And that worked. Yeah, that that works out well because I don't have to find a narrator. I don't have to um, um, listen to the audio book and, uh, you know, minute by minute to make sure everything's okay, then take notes and then submit it back to the narrator to make changes. They do all that for you. And okay. um, that, w- that was really good, uh, a good decision. I'm, I'm really pleased with that, working with Tantor. So when you did that, um, did you um, – oh, what was I thinking of? Um, is it the same, same narrators for all of your auto, audibles or all your, all your books, or is it, you know, does it depend on the story? Yeah, it depends. I mean, I, did, I do have some overlap. I have some narrators who have done um, – I had one narrator. He did probably three books. I have another one who did two or three, another one who did two and then the last um, um, four or five through Tantor, since they are in first-person dual POV, um, mm-hmm. we had two narrators, a female 
and a male for those and which is a a lot of fun and so they they've done those the last four or five. Oh nice. Oh nice. So your your readers and listeners are getting uh, kind of the, the consistency, kind of the building that relationship with those narrators as well. Yeah, and there's also some overlap because those narrators um, who tend to be have tend to have their own following. So when they're announcing to their fans, they have new books in certain genres. Some of their fans, you know, even if they've never heard of the author, will they love the narrator so much they'll check out the book and listen to it. Right. Right. So it's a win-win. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So how far along are you on your newest book, Men or Pops? I have all the pieces in place. It's been three weeks since I published my um, Uncork My Love. And mm-hmm. uh, which I actually I can tell you a little story that I'm uh, very close to changing the title of that book. Oh, Okay. Okay. And um, so I'm probably going to be doing that in the next week or so, which I've never done before. But um, and I'm probably going to be changing the cover on that as well. Oh and, wow! Okay. Um, yeah. Well, it's a very so cute that, cover. You, your designer, your cover designer, does a good job. Oh, she's amazing. That's Sue Trainor. She's in the she's in the UK. She's amazing, and I love her stuff. But sometimes. You know, when I give her, you know, I give her the idea that I have in my head for the cover, and I don't always get it right. And, um, you know, sometimes, like for my book, It's Not PMS, It's You, that cover just nailed it. It's just, it goes so well with the book. And it's not a surprise, that is my best-selling book. I think it's closing in on 700 reviews on Amazon and I think it's got a few thousand on Goodreads and stuff, and it's still my best-selling book by far. And I think my next book, Men or Paws, is kind of, it looks like it's going to head in that direction based on the feedback of the cover and the story. Right. But I give, I give Sue my, my thoughts on what I want the cover to look like. Sometimes I get it right, and Sylvie always helps me. I, I do a little sketch, which it looks like a... a a three-year-old drew it. And then <laughs> Sylvie, Sylvie will take my idea and say, let me help you with that. And then she'll, uh, <laughs> she'll, she'll do what appears to be something drawn by an adult and much better. And then we submit that to Sue and then Sue will do her best version of the idea that we came up with. Right. And, and most of the time, it you know, it turns out the, the way it is. But sometimes the cover, and this has nothing to do with Sue. Her, I love her artwork that she does. Sometimes the story conveyed on the cover doesn't match the story so well. The cover can be really cute or beautiful, absolutely. Right. But sometimes the title or, and or the cover, even though they're both solid, don't really match the story that well. And, right. And... Um, this is one of those cases where I decided I was going to make a change. And mm-hmm. um, Well, it is important we'll because it's one of those things that I, I understand why a lot of people who decide to do indie, because you do have complete control over your book covers for sure. Um, and in some publishing houses, you have a little bit more say. Um, but as an indie writer, absolutely, the, the responsibility of your cover completely falls to you. So you really should 
make sure that they both mesh with your story. That's a, that's a very big deal. Yeah. 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 So the, the cover right now for uncork my love, I mean, it's a very, very beautiful cover. It looks great. Some Mm -hmm. people, uh, and, but it does look more, even though my romantic comedies are technically also contemporary romances, um, Mm -hmm. it does look more like full on contemporary romance than it does romantic comedy based on the vibe on the cover. And Mm -hmm. um, not that that's a bad thing, but when you're really marketing romantic comedies, that's what you're all about, the humor and the fun. Um, there can be a disconnect with the cover and the story you're telling. So I think that's kind of what happened here. And so I'm, that's the beauty, as you said, being indie, because once you publish, if you're traditional published, once you publish it, it's done. They're not going to, yeah. they're typically not going to do a thing. In fact, sometimes Sylvie will be reading a book and she'll say, wow, this, this book, it's, this is a, it's a romance and it's Simon and Schuster and it, I, I've already found six typos in the first five chapters. And, I, and mm-hmm. I, she said, should I tell the author? I said, no, do not, because the publisher is not going to do a single thing about it. And then that's just going to make the author feel bad. If it's a, you know, if it's a indie author, yes, because they can go in and make a quick change on it and upload the book back for sale, you know, within an hour. And mm-hmm. most of them, if they really, you know, if they're smart business people, they'll appreciate that. They won't take it personal. Right. Well, and yeah, you can look at something over and over again and miss, you know, there, there, and there. I mean, it just, it's, it's just one of those things that you, you kind of get blind a little bit when you've looked at your manuscript for so long. Um, my mom is well, an not avid reader. That, but yeah. my, um, the, the, you know, I have, um, I have my beta readers. I have, uh, my editor, then I have two proofreaders after that. Yeah. And still things can slip through all of those people. We're talking like seven, eight people in total. It still can slip by just because sometimes your mind finishes the sentence for you so many times mm-hmm. that it, it, you, you go right over it. So luckily I do have some readers, some of my early review team that will even catch something after all those people. And I say, thank you. And I'm able to just quickly correct it and get it back up because I want the best product possible when I'm putting out a book and I don't want anything to stop somebody in their tracks as they're reading. And so, so my books are very, very clean, but there's a lot of work that goes into it. Oh, for sure. Well, and we all appreciate that you do so much work because we're all still reading every time and waiting for that next one to come out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when when do you think – so you're talking about possibly three books this year. So you've just done Uncork My Love, and that's been out for only three weeks. Um, what do you think your um, release date about month-wise will be for your next one? I think it should be in – let me see. We're April – I think it should be the near the beginning of July. Oh wow! Okay, okay. So we're April that, yeah. April to July, and then I'm hoping um, the next one after that will be maybe in late October. Okay. So wow. So April well, April yeah. July and October for the books, and then 
if I get lucky and I'm on a roll and everything is just feeling right, hopefully by January or February, I'll have the next one after that. Sweet. I love it. Well, for anybody who's been listening, I've been talking to Rich Amui, um, and his book, Uncork My Love, is out now. You can find him on his website, Facebook, Instagram, BookBub, and Amazon, and I have all the links in the right above the show. Will you come back and talk to us again when your next one's out? How, how is tomorrow for you? Is that a good time? Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, you know, Patricia, I can talk with you like all day long. So, yeah, anytime you want me back, I, I'll, I'd be happy to come back. And, and, yeah, if you want to talk in July when, when Men or Pause comes out, uh, I would love to. Let's do it. Let's get it set up. So, but in the meantime, give a big hug to Sylvie for us, and, and I want to know when her next book's coming out too. That sounds good. Hopefully that will be coming up later this year and big hugs for you as well. Absolutely. Well, you keep you keep doing well, staying safe and everybody out there. I want you to keep on reading and check back with us next week. Thanks again, Rich. We really appreciate you being on. Thank you. <laughs> this show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions www.cosproductions.com Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.